Let's just try this again. Merry Christmas. Yeah, you know what? What I love about community, you just don't know what you're going to get. You know, Mad Lib Christmas story that made no sense at all. You've got a little drummer boy throwing drumsticks at you. <laughs> Come back next week. We'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, man, I do love this time of year, though, and so grateful that you chose to celebrate with us today. Um, you know, isn't it kind of a, sun, a fun surprise, maybe you've had this happen on occasion, when you unexpectedly run into someone famous? You ever had that happen? An unexpected surprise, you run into somebody famous. Uh, who here has a story of randomly meeting someone famous? Quick show of hands. Who has a story like that? Anybody? All right, you're hesitant to raise your hand right now because you're afraid I'm going to call on you, aren't you? Right, okay. All right, I want to know some names. Who are, give me some names of the most famous people you met. Seriously, nice. Richard Gere, okay, all right. Anybody else? Give us a couple more names. Okay, all right. I saw a hand in the back row. Would you like to share, anybody? <laughs> Bill Hader, oh, no kidding. Wow, good. All right, how about somebody over here? Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh. Uh, yeah, spoken like a true Michigan fan right there, yeah. All right, one more. Anybody else? Anybody? Charles Barkley. Nice. Where did you see Charles Barkley? He was very loud. <laughs> not, not surprising. Not surprising at all. All right. Well, I, I've run into a few famous people over the years. Uh, before he died, I met Harry Carey, the former uh, Cubs broadcaster outside of Wrigley Field. That was kind of fun. Uh, I've had a conversation with best-selling author Rick Warren, wrote The Purpose Driven Life. I think it's like the second best-selling book of all time next to the Bible. But one of my favorite encounters of this kind was when my son Graham and I were in New York City and we ran to Paul Rudd just outside of a New York City theater. I love Paul Rudd. Of course you do. <laughs> Everybody does. All right? But this was before he became the sexiest man alive, right? Oh, my gosh. Uh, ladies are perspiring. Okay. <laughs> I would like to think that maybe Graham and I had some influence on him that led him to become the sexiest man alive, but maybe not. That was like 2012, so yeah, my son's grown up just a little bit since then. But I got to tell you, uh, it is fun, isn't it, when you meet somebody famous or influential. At the same time, and this is where I'm kind of going with this, uh, something I love about Jesus, all right, there's a point to this, is that he never seemed to get caught up in being impressed with people who were considered influential or powerful. He just didn't. Uh, instead, he went out of his way for the people that nobody really even noticed. But in a lot of ways, I don't think that should surprise us because everything about Jesus and his kingdom seems to be upside down, if you think about it. I mean, everything about Jesus and his kingdom seems to be upside down. And it wasn't just what he de did, it was also what he said. I mean, he said some really interesting things, like it's better to give than to what? Right. He said, if you want to be first, you must be Right, and he said, if you want to live, you must first what? Yeah. Right, yeah. And his words were likely just as startling to the people who heard it for the first time as they are for us today. And, and why are they so counter to our culture today? Well, I think it's because we live in a world that teaches pretty much the opposite of what Jesus taught. I mean, we're told to pursue power and control, right? I mean, nobody wants to be at the bottom, right? Take the bull by the, the horns, right? You know, determine your own destiny, uh, we're uh, led to believe that wealth and possessions will bring you happiness. You know, success is based on uh, your zip code, the size of your bank account, and whether or not you can afford the latest tech gadget, right? Uh, we tend to seek status and influence by, by creating digital platforms with hundreds of people that we will never meet and, and developing these sort of like images that we know we cannot possibly maintain because it's so unrealistic. 
And finally, we idolize autonomy and independence, right? We buy into the idea that we will have truly arrived and we don't have to depend, depend on anybody or anything. And the result, I think, really is a value system where there are haves and have-nots, where a part of the social order where you're in, then you're out, you're up, then you're down. You're wrong when it's right, it's black and it's white. <laughs> Couldn't help it, sorry. <laughs> But seriously, I mean, too often, right? I mean, followers, likes, and perfect pictures are the ultimate measure of success. Followers, likes, and perfect pictures are the ultimate measure of success. And it's all punctuated by constantly needing more. And I think all this, you know, striving to, to you know, look a certain way, live a particular lifestyle, and portray a perfect image leaves us exhausted. Am I right? Now, I want to kind of be honest with you here about something. And you, know, might, not, you might not know this about our church, but um, our church, you look at um, our church across all the locations we have in Chicagoland and then our church planting movement that we helped start. I mean, we're kind of considered a model for other churches across the country. And because of that, you know, I get to co-author some books. I have over 5,000, I have like thousands of followers on Facebook. Um, I speak at conferences. I mean, I live in a great neighborhood. My kids went to some of the best schools. And so in a lot of ways, you know, it's like, wow, those are some pretty impressive things, right? But, you know, I want to tell you, honestly, there are still, in spite of all those things, plenty of times when I don't feel like I fit in, I still want a nicer car, a bigger house, and a better body. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> um, I have more days than I care to admit when I feel like a failure. And I'm not nearly as independent as sometimes I like to portray. And if you thought those feelings would be lessened, lessened the older you get, sorry to spoil your thoughts on that. It's not the case. So let me ask you, do, do you ever feel like you don't fit in? Uh, do you often uh, wish you had a bigger place, a nicer car, or cooler clothes? Uh, do you work pretty hard to keep up an image that you know you can't maintain? Are there, are there days when you sort of feel like just throwing in the towel? Anybody? Well, I have some really good news today. You see, when Jesus came into this world, um, he said that his kingdom will operate on a completely different set of values. He said that his kingdom will not see people through the lens of wealth and status and power, but through love and grace and humility. And what's even more amazing is that these weren't just words that he spoke with his mouth. These are things that he lived out every single day. Speaking to Rick Warren, author and speaker Rick Warren put it like this. He says, we do not serve a distant and detached God who spouts encouraging cliches safely from the sideline. Instead, he enters into our suffering. There's an incredible story in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus is just beginning his ministry. And I, and I want you to sort of picture this in your mind, okay, if you can, all right? I'm going to tell the story, but I want you to really imagine what this must have been like, all right? Because Luke, the doctor and historian, tells us that Jesus is in the temple. It's the place where the religious people would go and they would pray together. They would read scripture together. And Jesus grabs a scroll and he reads a passage from the prophet Isaiah and it says this, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Now, the people in the temple, when they heard this, they were familiar with this text. I and mean, this is one that was repeated over and over again. I mean, this was probably on Isaiah's you know, greatest hits album, if you will. But when Jesus, then Jesus continues and says something that leaves everybody in shock because he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
All that that I just read, okay, about I'm going to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, all that is being fulfilled in your hearing, okay? And Jesus was saying, he's saying, hey, look, I am the long-awaited Messiah, and the kingdom I have come to establish is nothing like what you thought it was going to be. He says, I have come to proclaim good news to those who are considered the least and the loneliest. I have come to bring good news to the least and the loneliest. And I can only imagine the shocked look on the faces of the people that were gathered there when they heard him say that for the first time. And then after Jesus has this sort of, sort of like scroll drop moment, if you will, in the temple, he goes out and he actually lives those very words out. And I mean, over and over, we see him spending time with those considered the least in society. Yeah, Jesus spent time with the unimpressive. He spent time with the unimpressive. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, turned follower of Jesus, tells a time when people brought children to Jesus so he could pray for them. All right? People are bringing children to Jesus so he can pray for them. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't know where I got this, but I have kind of this painting or image in my mind of Jesus sitting on this big rock with all these little kids around him. Is that like a real painting or a picture somewhere? Okay, make, maybe I just made that up. Anyway, and you know, Jesus spending time with children, I mean, that seems like something he would do, right? But his closest followers rebuked these people for letting the children bother Jesus. Why would they do that? Well, because back then, children were seen as property, and since they couldn't contribute to the family, some were considered a burden. In other words, they thought that someone as unimpressive as a child wasn't worthy to have the attention of someone as important as Jesus. And yet Jesus welcomes them. He spends time with them. He prays with them. He blesses them. Scripture says he blessed the children. Yeah, he spent time with the unimpressive. He also welcomed the messy. Do you know that? Jesus welcomed the messy. One time Jesus was eating with uh, someone who's considered a religious leader at that time, when a woman who is an outcast because of her lifestyle comes into the room, she's weeping uncontrollably and starts washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Awkward situation by almost anybody's standards, right? But the religious leaders couldn't understand why Jesus would allow her to do this. To even be touched by a woman with her reputation would have been considered completely sacrilegious to a man of Jesus' stature. But again, Jesus doesn't see her like other people see her. He doesn't see her through the mess that she has made of her life. Instead, he sees her with love and compassion. Yeah, Jesus welcomed the messy. You know, he also drew near to the outsider. Yeah, Jesus drew near to the outsider. On another occasion, Jesus was leaving the city of Jericho. And on the, on the side of the road was a blind man who could hear the commotion of the crowd. And so he yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Blind man on the side of the road yelling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Others hear this man yelling and tell him to keep quiet. Who are you to interrupt Jesus, they said. And yet Jesus, who is surrounded by a huge crowd, everyone vying for his attention, stops and brings this outsider in so that he could heal him. Think about that. Surrounded by hundreds, maybe thousands of people, vying for his attention, Jesus, here's this blind man on the side of the road, this outsider, brings him in, this outsider, so that he could heal him. Man, I love this. Jesus loved the unimpressive, the messy, the outsider. Let me say that again. Jesus loved the unimpressive, 
the messy, the outsider. And before we start thinking about other people who might come to mind as unimpressive or messy or an outsider, I want you to start thinking about what this means for each of us. I want you to think about what does that mean for you? Because if you're like me, you know, I can become quite skilled at hiding parts of my lives that aren't so impressive. Anybody else? Yeah, I, I can get really good at covering up some of the messes I've made. I can, you know, try to numb the pain of feeling like I don't fit in with a quick hit of Facebook or Instagram. But I think all, deep down, we all know that none of us is that impressive, that well put together, or really even that popular. And while life might be really, really good for you right now, and I hope it is, every one of us is among the least of these in one way or another. Every single one of us. Every one of us is among the least of these in one way or another. And see, that's why Christmas is such good news for us. Because when we feel like the least, the lowest, and the most unlovable, Jesus draws near. You know that? When we feel like the very least... The lowest, the most unlovable, that's when Jesus draws near. If there's one thing I can encourage you with as we approach this Christmas, it would be this. You are loved. Every part of you is loved. The part of you that is messy and sometimes embarrassing. The parts of you that we won't find on your social media feed. Your fears, your doubts, your struggles, your failures. Jesus loves every part of you. Let that sink in. He loves you more than anybody ever has or ever will. We've said it before. I'll say it again. He loves you as you are and not as you should be because none of us are as we should should be. That's the good news of Christmas. Let that truth encourage you and turn your world upside down this Christmas like it never has before, would you? And if there's a way I could challenge you this Christmas, it would be this way. As someone so extravagantly loved by God, who can you share that love with? Who could you share that love with? I mean, who in your world is, is treated like the least? Who in your life sees themselves as unimpressive, messy, or uh, maybe an outsider? How could you share the love of Jesus with that person this Christmas? And I just want to encourage you, get, get creative with it. Make it big, make it small, make it somewhere in between. It doesn't matter, but just do it, would you? Have fun with it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I never want community to be perceived as a place for pretty people only. We never want that. I know some of you are thinking, well, as long as you're the pastor, <laughs> that's not a problem. <laughs> and you are a pretty people. Yeah, most of you. <laughs> but folks, we've got to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. We have got to be a people where it's okay not to be okay. Where you don't have to impress anybody. Where you can be honest about your messes and where you can find people who will get you through anything life brings your way. I mean that. We've, we have got to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. A while back, I read a story that author and pastor Tony Campolo shared about an experience he had in all places, Hawaii. <laughs> but Tony was out looking for a place to eat, and he found what he called the greasy spoon sort of dive. It was like three in the morning, and it was still open. And uh, when Tony walked in, he said a, a huge guy behind the counter greeted him and said, what do you want? Tony said, well, I'll take a, a cup of coffee and a donut. And so the guy um, 
grabbed uh, a cup of coffee, put it on the counter, wiped his sort of grimy hand off on his uh, apron, then reached for a donut barehanded and put it in front of Tony to eat. Uh, it was kind of gross, but Tony ate it anyway. He was super hungry, downing that donut at 3.30 in the morning. And then suddenly the, the diner door flew wide open, and about eight or nine prostitutes walked in. True story. And Tony said he felt completely out of place and was about to make his exit when he overheard the woman sitting next to him say, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going to be 39. And her friend seated next to her on the other side responded in kind of a harsh tone and said, so what do you want me to do, throw a party for you? You want me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday? And when Tony heard that, he, he said, I knew what I had to do. And he waited till all the women left, but he called the man behind the counter over to him. And he said, hey, does that woman sitting next to me, does she come in here every night? And the man said, yes, uh, that's Agnes. She comes in every night at about the same time. Why do you ask? Tony said, well, I, I heard her say that her birthday is tomorrow. What do you say you and I do something about that? What do you say we throw her a birthday party tomorrow night right here? And a smirk kind of came across this big guy's face, and he said, yeah, sure, that's a great idea. Let's do it. And so Tony and this mountain of a man behind the counter and his wife, who actually cooked in the kitchen, began to plan a party for Agnes. And that next night, Tony gets to the diner at about 2.30 in the morning. He's putting balloons up, streamers, hangs up a big banner. This is, happy birthday, Agnes. The big guy behind the counter and his wife, they bake a cake, and they invite a whole bunch of people to be there to celebrate this birthday. And then at 3.30 in the morning, on the dot, the doors fling open, and in walks Agnes and her friends. And everybody was prepared, and they all screamed, happy birthday, Agnes. Tony writes, I've never seen somebody so flabbergasted, so stunned, and so shaken. And she looked like she was about to faint, so one of her friends grabbed her by the arm, took her over to one of the stools at the counter so that she could sit down. And as she sat down, the entire diner started singing, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Agnes. And well, uh, tears welled up in her eyes. And uh, she was so taken back by everything that the guy behind the counter had to blow out the candles for her. And just as he was about to, to cut the cake, Agnes says, Hey, would it be all right? I mean, is it okay if I take if we don't cut the cake right now, is it all right if we don't eat it now? I'd like to take the cake with me. And the guy behind the counter says, well, take it if you want. That's fine. I don't care. Take it home if you want. And she said, can I? And then she asked Tony. She said, I live just down the street. I want to I take the cake home. I'll be right back. And she got off of her stool, picked up the cake, and she carried it out of the diner like it was the Holy Grail. She walked slowly towards the door. Everybody stood there motionless as she left. And when she closed the door, there was a, a stunned silence in the diner. And not knowing what to do next, Tony broke the silence by saying, hey, what do you say we pray? And there Tony found himself praying for Agnes in a diner at 3.30 in the morning with people many would label as unimpressive, messy, and outsiders. And when he finished praying, the big guy behind the counter leaned over with a trace of hostility in his voice and he said, Hey, you never told me you were a pastor. What kind of church do you belong to? <laughs> and Tony said, well, I belong to the kind of church that throws a party for people like Agnes at 3.30 in the morning. And the man kind of paused and he said, no, you don't. There's no church like that. But if there was, I'd join it. <laughs> but I think we all would, wouldn't we? We'd all like to join a church that throws parties for people like Agnes. And... Um, I mean, church, the, tr the truth is, that's the kind of church Jesus came to start. And that's the type of church he would want to be a part of, and that's the kind of church that he wants us uh, to become.
And so, can I ask you, church, I mean, how can you show the love of Jesus to the least this Christmas? Who is, who is that Agnes in your world? I don't know, maybe it's the elderly woman that you see walking up and down your street. Could it be that guy or girl who just always seems to be a little bit awkward socially? Um, it might be an immigrant who you know is trying to navigate a new world. Maybe it's someone you know who's going through a tough, tough season right now and feeling particularly unimpressive, messy, or overlooked this Christmas. How might you share uh, the love of Jesus this Christmas? Father God, we, we feel your presence and we know that you're here with us in this quiet moment. And God, we also know that in the next two weeks, the hustle and bustle and the craziness that can sometimes mark Christmas can sort of overcome us and we could find ourselves in 2022 having yet to be fully captured by this most remarkable story of your son, Jesus, being a baby born into poverty in a manger and then later becoming one who was crucified as a criminal on a cross. Lord God, help us to recognize you gave up everything to love everyone. You became the least to love the least. God, help us just to kind of let that soak in. And Lord, help. we ask for your Holy Spirit to in, invade our lives and invade this space, God, and, and awaken us to your love so that we can feel it and experience it for ourselves in, in new and increasingly more powerful ways, Lord. Not so that we can hold on to it or hoard it or keep it to ourselves, but Father, so that we can extend it to others. God, ultimately, we, we know, we know, Father, we're not that impressive. Um, we often feel like an outsider and um, too often than not we make pretty big messes of our lives and so God we're just grateful that in spite of all of that you uh, you love us unconditionally and so God in turn just help us to see the people around us who might be feeling particularly unimpressive, might be feeling like an, an outsider, might be feeling like they've made a mess of, of their lives so that we can extend your love to them, God. Lord, help us to be the kind of church that um, loves people as they are, not as they should be. Lord God, you are good. We pray this in your name. Amen.